Before we start this podcast, I need to make one quick announcement about the Mind vs. Muscle team page. Guys, if you are not in that team page on Facebook yet, you need to jump on this opportunity. They are getting their exercises critiqued, they're getting their specific questions answered, and they're getting a ton of results just based off the feedback, information, and accountability that we have created inside this awesome community of people and followers and listeners of the Mind vs. Muscle podcast just like you. So if you want the opportunity to get more access, more guidance, more coaching, more answers, and more accountability to get better results, jump in now, go to the show notes, click the link, and get into the Mind vs. Muscle team page. So let's just jump right into it today. We're going to go with one single question and probably talk about it the entire podcast. We got uh, Rory. He's got to be from Europe or something. Rory. Rory. He's got to be from Europe. <laughs> Just the way you said it. Rory. You've done a podcast on what your favorite exercise is for each muscle. Please could you do one of your favorite activation exercises per muscle? So um, I don't even think we need to write anything down for this one. Let's just like... Let's do uh, let's just do movement patterns like press, um, pull, push, pull, hip, knee, core. Like okay, prep well, for each right, but it depends if we're going overhead or we're going horizontal. Right. So let's start. Let's start with at the bottom though. Let's go. Or yeah, let's do movements because nobody's gonna uh, do activation drills for a lunge, right? Like at least you shouldn't have to. But let's go with uh, let's start with squat, the biggest one of, the, of them all. What is your go-to activation drill for a squat? And why? I always tend to do um, like a leg glute bridge. Um, See, I always go or uh, like a Swiss ball hamstring. I was gonna say I go right for the hamstrings. Like I know a lot of people, and I think Louis uh, made this popular from West Side, like doing reverse hypers and glute ham raises before anything. Right. Um, Because I I always tend to put reverse hypers. Um, towards the end. I do too because the spinal erectors fire so much that a lot of people just throw off their squat. Like right. I know if, if my spinal erectors are going crazy, my squat, deadlift, whatever I'm doing is, is going to be out of whack. But uh, hamstrings in general are going to create more fluid in the joints. It's going to create more I, – I think it allows you to torque a little bit more when you drop into the squat because I notice people have softer knees, you could say, like right. when they squat low. Um, so I always go for either Swiss ball hamstring curls or single leg hip thrusts because those are a little bit more – hamstring dominant than uh, glute bridges bridge, would yeah. be um, but like we can even regress it down from there because a lot of people actually can't even do a Swiss ball hamstring curl properly because they don't know how to keep their hips locked out right what's your go-to for like a beginner isometric uh, like glute bridge hold like just start on the ground and then have them and just really cue them right like even if somebody and, and you'll see too like they'll they'll have leaks and a lot of a lot of times when you know people lack hip extension you'll you'll see it so even though their their hips may appear that they're fully extended then i would look at their rib cage is their rib cage super flared yeah. right and a, and a good uh, a good cue for that would be to lay your arms out by your sides about 45 degrees and then just push the floor away as much as you can cuz then you're going to create anterior core tension um, and then when you see that rib cage flatten out, then you'll see the, the hip sink. Right? Yeah. So sometimes there's that disconnect. Right. Um, so a lot of times I will do, um, before a front squat, I will do either a, a Swiss ball hamstring curl or single leg glue bridge. Um, and then go into a Swiss ball fallout to where you have your palms 
facing up towards you, arms locked out, and then you kind of do a uh, like a fallout in that position. So you right. be on your knees, hips forward, almost like an ab wheel, right? Like rolling exactly, out. Yep. Exactly. Yep. But th- now you're working more on like scapular upward rotation. Right. Um, and again, when you're when you're uh, when your core is is engaged like that, and then you start to breathe out in the end range. You're gonna get a lot more. Uh, you're gonna get a lot more range of motion. Right. I like to even do that before front squats too, uh, because it will it will allow my upper back to. I was gonna say that rack position. Exactly. Right. You can yeah. actually even do that over. I think Eric Cressy was big on that before pressing too. Right. Yeah. Because of the way it works over scapula. Yeah. So yeah. I would. Um, I think he has a ton of videos. It was like his shoulder. 30 days of shoulder shoulder health or something It was like on that. YouTube, right? Yeah. yeah, so like look up Eric Cressy shoulder health because he has one of those doing that exercise. Um, but the big takeaway for a squat I think is going to be getting your hamstrings and a little bit of glutes I would say. But but to me I think it's more important to get the hamstrings fired. But again, like you said, you need, if you're going to get your hamstrings fired properly, you need to learn how to get in that posterior right. extension position. Um, so a good way if you have trouble flaring the ribcage and all those things, frog pumps. Like anytime you get into a frog pump where your feet are together, your knees are out, you kind of get forced into that posterior tilt, mm-hmm. pulls the rib cage down, drives your hips all the way through. Um, it's more glue dominant than anything, but I think that's a good way to kind of avoid that, you know? Right. Um, so let's go. And, and now that I'm thinking about it, we'll do the movements and then we should go into, like I want to talk about, because there's like a lot of hype around activation drills for more muscle mass. So like activating the muscle before you train, but there's some interesting studies that are conflicting with that. So right. we'll talk about that after this. Cause I think he, the way he put it is per muscle. So like he was saying like, if I want to grow this muscle, how do I do it for each one? Right. Okay. Um, and we can talk about how to like prioritize your muscles a little bit differently. Um, so but, more of like pre fatigue. Yeah. And, and the, the issue with that is that it can actually decrease your total intensity and volume because you're just tiring yourself out. Right. Um, so I don't think that's very smart because um, if you do, for instance, if you do too much on a fly movement, they found that when you go to bench, your chest will deactivate and your triceps and shoulders will take over right. because your chest is fatigued. So there's probably a smarter way to go about it if you're looking to activate that. Now, like there's like we did the plate, like I just I've been calling it praying hands, where you just put a five pound plate between your hands and you just push together like you're praying as hard as you mm-hmm. can. I think that's an okay drill because it never fatigues you, but it does recruit muscle fibers in like activation because like I have a guy, like I was telling you about this actually, I have a guy who he, he always presses with his with shoulders, shoulders and yeah. triceps. So in order to get any activity at all, like we had to do something, right? But if I would have had him do four sets that are, or some flies and all this stuff, then he would have just been gassed out yeah. and his chest wouldn't have worked at all. So I think pre-fatiguing, you have to be... And it's hard because if you really want to like build your chest, you're probably going to be eager to do a bunch of sets and really right. fire it up and get it amped up. And I would encourage you to, as soon as you start to feel your chest, like stop. And that's the thing too, is, is that like really what you, what the goal for pre-fatigue is, is uh, it, it's for people who really enjoy kind of like that mind-muscle connection. Right. right. So it's not necessarily for people uh, like me who... Uh, you know, when I first started training, it was very hard for me to engage my chest. It was really hard for me to feel my chest. When I bench press, I bench with my shoulders, same issue. Um, it, it, it wasn't, you know, if even if I was to do uh, like squeeze presses, like two or three sets of squeeze presses before I went into uh, like a heavier bench press to where I was handling more load, right. that's not necessarily the answer, right? It, it's 
more about when I, when I started uh, focusing more on mid and low trap activation, which was responsible for, uh, again, retraction of my scapulas. So when I go down, my shoulders are pulled back and I get a greater stretch in my chest. Yeah. That was more essential for me than doing pre-fatiguing right. before I, I went into uh, a bench press. Put yourself into the position to use your exactly. chest versus exactly. trying to fatigue it out. Good. Yep. And so tempos and pause reps, that's where that comes into play because mm-hmm. at the end of the day... It's more about time under tension. I think that guys who really had this concept of pre-fatigue, they may have had that in mind. Yeah. More time under tension. Yeah. And then obviously they could have been those people who, uh, uh, who really need to feel that connection and feel that pump to really feel successful in what they've yeah. done. But yeah, I could I could definitely see how it might uh, hinder your results because you know if if you're fatiguing out or if you're getting too tired. And you can't even complete two or three sets, um, you know, at seventy-five to an eighty-five percent range of your your max effort. Right. Then you're kind of defeating the purpose on what you're trying to do. Yeah. And they actually did like a legit study on it, yeah. and it actually showed that. Which I think, and it was funny because I remember, like, I was part of a couple different research reviews, and I remember like multiple people being like kind of upset about it because it was like yeah. f- like a paradigm shattering moment, right? Like we've been doing this forever, and. And I think in certain places it's okay, like like we just talked about squat, for instance. Pre-fatiguing your hamstrings is actually going to be smart because bringing more blood flow into your hamstrings is going to bring more lubrication into your hips and knees. Right. And like I said, you're going to have a soft squat. So in that sense, but again, like a squat isn't a super hamstring dominant movement. Yeah. So it's not like we're pre-fatiguing our quads before we do a squat. That's going to harm your, your squat, depending on what kind of squat you are, obviously. Um, another one would be like hip thrust. Like we do hip thrust before a lot of people's programming regardless. Mm-hmm. And it, one, it can be if they want to grow their glutes, obviously for more volume, but two, putting them into that extensive position where they're like getting rid of the posterior tail. A lot of times I have them go lighter, drive their hips through, pause, breathe, and just focus on that position. So they're actually just like a band pull apart before you train. Get your posture better before you do the movement, right? right? Um, so let's go into deadlift. Like for, for me, I'm always going to focus more on actually my core and my lats Mm -hmm. versus anything else. And I think a lot of people will go to their glutes, which I think can be smart if you have an overactive low back. But at the same time, it it probably would be even smarter to say like, let's do like an intense plank variation or like a hollow hold, something that you put yourself into a posterior tilt. So like a, uh, I think it's called a long lever posterior tilt plank and then like straight arm pull downs. So your lats are engaged. So you're going to be able to create stability. Because we know like when we're deadlifting, our goal really isn't to like, I mean, yes, I guess you can say I want to deadlift so I can build my lats, but you're not like directly doing it to like build mass in your lats. We just know that you need strong lats in order to deadlift. So for me, it's always like a pull down and then some kind of core variation, whether it's an RKC plank, LLPT plank. Um, I think hollow holds work, but you got to be careful how long you go because a lot of people can't hold a proper one for very long. Right. And it's kind of like pre-fatiguing. Yeah. and I actually went over uh, with another one of our coaches at the gym um, how I program exactly, and that was a good point. Like, uh, she was like, "Man, well, I, I usually put like three sets for uh, you know my activation stuff." I was like, "Man, like anything more than two sets is is unnecessary mm-hmm. because then you're you're gonna start moving into that that range where now people are 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 getting a little bit more fatigued, even if they don't realize it yeah. at the time, even if it's just a body weight exercise, but." The way you should be coaching them is to get the most recruitment out of that, out of that movement as possible. Yep. So making a, a single leg glute bridge feel like a three hundred pound deadlift. Yeah. Right. That's essentially what you're trying to do. But when you try to do that for three or even four sets, 
um, again, like, of course you're going to fatigue out. Right. So do two sets, um, and it, you know, if you're going to do a single leg glue bridge, anywhere from six to 10 reps, depending on, yeah. on the person really focus on, uh, what, what you got going on. Um, I, for me, I, I, my lats just, I mean, they can fire, I, they're firing just me sitting here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they're constantly on, but for most people, um, who I program for, I would definitely engage right. the lats before, you know, I do two sets of straight arm pull downs or something like that to where they can simulate, yeah. uh, that deadlift position when they're in the hinge. Yeah. Um, and, and I got that from, uh, John Russin. Um, and then hollow body holds for, uh, 15, 15 seconds. Yeah. I was going to say that's even apart. like any, any more than that, you're kind of yeah. pushing it and just focusing on, on controlling their breathing more right. than anything. And I think like it really depends on the person because there are people who I will program more than or three sets for and even I do it for myself sometimes because I kind of include it in my warm-up right. so I don't go through a ton of mobility drills where because I'm honestly impatient but if I go through a ton of mobility drills then I'm actually kind of amped up already right, right? and if I go straight into my activation I can add a set because I'm really like people have to understand like my RPE skills at a five like yeah. I'm not going all out and I think that's where the issue is because some people don't know like how to gauge that it's either they're not training or they're like balls to the wall right, right? like pushing it really hard so you got to be able to like tone it down um for sure so um and, and i definitely encourage everybody to do lats because i think theo is like one out of 30 people yeah. because like most people have like sleepy lats right like they just don't fire mm -hmm. at all so you're pretty rare in that case yeah. um so big movements I, I would also say actually with that one really quick i want to add in half kneeling hip stretch um, yeah. for deadlifts and yep. that's really because and you don't necessarily have to do that for activation you can do that in between your sets so instead of doing a set of deadlifts and then going to sit down which a lot of power lifters do yeah. they'll sit down for two or three minutes before they hit that shorten their hip flexors exactly yeah. right so you're getting back into a shortened state so you're doing everything that's your activation like you're just redoing it yeah right? um so i'm i'm a big fan of especially with clients who um uh, really try to get away with not doing mobility drills or activation mm -hmm. drills um, as, as part of their warm up, um, then I'll just program it in there. Fillers, yeah. 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 So it's there's an no easy way, way around it. Yeah. Um, so if we're going big movements, I guess the next is just going to be if, if we're doing presses, right? Mm -hmm. So we can uh, do, let's do bench and uh, military press. Okay. So for bench, it's tough. You know what? Like, I actually have been liking. Uh, I think it's important for, and actually we should have included this on the squat and the deadlift as well, to do some kind of CNS primer where you're actually doing explosive movement. Yep. So for a deadlift, I'm probably going to do a broad jump or a, or a overhead slam, so I'm getting my lats engaged, or I'm mimicking the deadlift pattern, and for a squat, some kind of box squat, box jump, yeah. um, or just a regular jump squat, just to get your central nervous system fired, be explosive. So for chet, or for bench, I actually like doing like explosive chest throws so against the wall or against the floor but just going in that same movement pattern super explosively with like a light ball right. and I think a lot of people do that in, in the wrong way where they grab like a 20 to 30 pound ball and you can barely throw the fucking thing grab like a 5 to 10 pound ball so where you can really get some power on it yeah. um, but for activation I like actually doing like a, a combo like I'll do 10 face pulls and then 10 straight arm pull downs mm -hmm. so all I'm working on here is really just activating my upper back, my uh, mid back, my lats, everything. So everything on my posterior change, chain is like starting to fire but not get fatigued. That yeah. way when I go to bench, I can glide my scapula back and down properly and I can be in that good racked position to explode back up to the top. So for me, it's always some kind of essentially face pull or straight arm pull down. So variations of rows. Right. Um, mine's kind of a, like a, uh, a hybrid. So I, I recently posted a video um, 
and it's a uh, posterior cable fly. So very similar to like a straight arm pull down, except you're coming more across your body. Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at this exercise and I did it from the back, um, and you know, you start with your arms up. So it's kind of like mimicking that, uh, like if you're going to do a Viking or, or cor it, core press. Or for people like who that. are trying to visualize this, it looks like Wolverine when he comes out of that. <laughs> yeah, that's how I felt when I you know watched it. This is when fucking he, awesome. Yeah, he comes out of the tank and he's like, <laughs> and he like does the little X yeah. downward. Like every time I do it, people are like, oh, it's like Wolverine. I'm like, yep. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's my activation work. And I use that for both overhead presses and uh, bench press. Um, and I feel great. So like, and I can feel my mid and low traps activate, my lats activate, um, upward rotation of the scapula as you, yeah. as you come out of it. So it's, it's a really big, big, big bang for your buck exercise right. if, if you're talking about presses. Yeah. I didn't even think, I, I would actually probably choose that one over mine too. Cause I didn't even think about that. But I think the big thing there too is like you said, your mid and low traps. So many people are so trap dominant. They never get their lats. They never get their right. mid and low traps. They just know like the shrug motion. Right. So even with the face pull, a lot of times I try to pull my shoulders down and focus more on ripping the band apart versus just doing the rotation right. because then I get everything around my scapula mm -hmm. versus just shrugging up really high. Right. So I think that's really, really important. But again, like we got to just think about all the muscles that support our scapular movement because a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to warm up with some push-ups. But then you're, you're really just going into a more protracted position because right. you're hanging on your and last And most people push do push-ups wrong. I, I, was, I mean, yeah, like exactly. 95% of people yeah. do push-ups wrong, even if it looks right, even on YouTube or Honestly, screen. that's my favorite thing to do is to coach somebody who already trains a lot how to do a push-up properly right. and right. just see them sweat. And like, 10 reps is like the fucking worst Yeah, we'll start with like five, yeah. right? And like yeah. just like cranking the floor. Like I yeah. love doing that. Um, so for overhead press for me is is actually probably going to be the same. Um, if I was to change it, maybe I'd, I'd lean more towards the lats just because they retract my scapula down a little bit better. Um, but I'd actually probably, like if I had to pick one, uh, ooh, bottoms up walks are pretty good though too. I like bottoms up walks, so just carrying a kettlebell upside down, um, like a light kettlebell, like 20 pounds at most. And then um, I don't even know what you call it, but the palms up rolling on the ball. What we were I just, just talking about. It, yeah, Swiss ball fallout. That's so, yeah. rolling out. Because all we're trying to do is just get the scapula to actually move properly. Right. Which is why a lot of people don't have the proper mobility to actually do an overhead press. So, those are my go-to. Yeah. It's crazy how much, like, the scapula is involved and nobody really thinks about it. Especially, like, when when we involve pressing. And, and usually, you know, when you, when you hear of somebody who uh, hears, like, that clicking or uh, they have... They have issues in their shoulder, especially in the front part of their shoulder when they do overhead presses. Right. And you look at them from, from the back, right? And, like, you can – a trained eye will see, like, you know, upward rotation of the scapula. I mean, it when you when you look at a fully functional one and then you look at a dysfunctional one that might stop about part way, right. like, you can definitely notice the difference. Yeah. And then so to even – to start or to, to stop in, like, this halfway – position right of a fully functional scapula and then somebody is still going up and then that means that their shoulder is going into anterior glide and almost essentially coming out of its socket yeah so then the muscles the anterior delts are just going fucking crazy right um so like it's, it's which should actually be the least active part when you're doing overhead exactly press. yeah exactly so yeah and every time that you come down it's crazy for me i was doing viking presses yesterday and it was crazy how much like my lats were just like on fire yeah. and, and I was like man like I'm, I'm overhead pressing right now and my fucking lats are just are just going crazy but it was from that that activation right and and it's not necessarily a bad thing I mean if they're constantly always on and it's it's you know it, a lot of times people don't realize that 
um, if they have migraines or if they have headaches, it's, it could be a direct cause of that, right? Mm -hmm. Posture, um, you know, shoulders coming forward, uh, if their lats or if their traps are overly active and then they're just constantly pulling, um, then people tend to get headaches and stuff like that. Dude, it's like, uh, that's actually something I was just talking to Shannon about yesterday because, so she always held her tension in her upper back, yeah. and since a lot of people been, do. Yeah, yeah. And, and since she's been pregnant, it's actually right. gotten worse. And lately, yeah. she's been getting headaches more frequently, which could be a result of just being pregnant. But I mean, she eats well, she eats enough, she's super hydrated. So I was telling this morning we were talking about it actually, and I was like, hey, like we should start hitting the apartment gym now that you're feeling a little bit better, and just start doing a ton of posterior chain. I was right. like, because the positions of your body that are sore are due to posture, mm-hmm. and we need to fix that. So, I mean, we, I mean, essentially, like, there's no activation drill for pulling really to do you just gotta i would just start, say ramp ups yeah so if you're gonna do a heavy row or if you're doing like a pendulum row or something like that just make sure your hips are mobile your core is firing stuff like that but for the most part i think on rowing just start light so the right muscles are working and i would even say and row and pull aparts or uh just yeah. because like i mean we just talked about uh scapular function right mm-hmm. like swiss ball fallouts even though it might not seem like it is gonna mimic a uh, a chin up or a pull up, yeah, hundred uh, percent, or more so than a chin up because your your palms are supinated. But um, yeah, like anytime that you you really want to work on like function of the scapula and and mid and low trap activation, even in that, right? Because that's gonna when you again when you talk about um, when you talk about your back and your lats and, and mid low traps and, and posterior delts and all these things, you you're talking about the support for your press, right? Not how many guys out there want a bigger chest or yeah. Uh, bigger shoulders like you have to be able to pr- to press functionally right and if you yeah. can't do that you can't um, put more weight on the exactly bar. you can't put more weight on the bar so i still think that you need to to take care of just i almost treat it the same way that i would treat if i was going to press yeah right so i still do those posterior cable fly like i do that so much right. um and it's at a really light weight and i just make sure that i'm getting the most out of each rep i and i do too i throw those in before every workout essentially but like the big point i point i point i want to i want to make if you want to lift longer, lift better, lift heavier, get a better physique, move better, you should probably start just in general, increase the volume on your posterior chain. Because yep. if you notice everything we talked about, hamstrings, glute, all of every part of your traps, your delts, your lats, everything we're talking about is posterior chains on the mm-hmm. backside. So if you can learn to start and finish your every workout with posterior chain, you'd be better off. If you can start every workout with your posterior chain, you're going to be training better. But I think just increasing the volume of how much you row is going to put your body in so much of a better position. Like a lot of people just, I want to get better at benching, so I'm going to bench, 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 bench. But really, you should start doing the things we're talking about right. and build your back so you can bench more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guarantee you'll see the results rapidly quick if you do that. Not to mention you actually feel better just sitting around. Your posture will be different. Um, I've gotten so many emails from like online clients that message me and they're like, dude, like I feel so much better just yeah. like sitting at my desk during yeah. the day and stuff. And I'm like, it's because you're not fucking slouching over anymore. Yeah. Like you, I was like, look how many rows you do in one of my workouts. Like it's crazy because and when I assess somebody, you know, like okay, you got to put a ton in this person, or like oh they're fine. Like we still two to one, but some people you got to go all the way to three or four to one yeah. for every press. You do three to four rows. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing. Now, when it comes to building more muscle, I don't think you should necessarily pre fatigue unless you literally have like it's a non-existent. Thing, right? right, and I think like if you literally can't feel your glutes on any exercise, um, 
like if you do a deep squat and the next day you don't feel your glutes at all, then maybe you do start doing hip thrust before and stuff just so you can try to recruit some blood flow. But make sure you don't pre-fatigue, like pre-activate. Like I think pre-fatigue is a bad word because you're trying to like smash the muscle group before you start. When in reality, if muscle growth is your goal, you're probably better off working to build strength so you can push more weight in the volume you're doing on that group. Right. Would you agree? Yeah. And I think it just comes down to adding more volume throughout your entire workout versus at the very beginning. I actually missed one for squats. I think that more than anything, I don't even know how I forgot about this, is uh, squat walks. So a lot of physical therapists Mm. will do this and where you just put a band around the, the top of your knees and you get into that squat position and then you walk side to side. It could be 20 to 30 seconds, but you're for sure going to get glute activation yeah. doing that. You know, granted that your that your feet are in the right position, that your joints are stacked up, ankles, knees, and hips. Um, you know, then you're talking about some some real glute activation. But there's a lot of people who still internally rotate, right? Um, and they're just going to feel, you know, whether it's it's a lot of people will feel their IT bands crank on and that's when i know that okay well that's what your hips are doing so let's push them out a little bit um so yeah that's that's usually a good one as well but uh yeah i agree i think like it it, this podcast can kind of end on that like just posterior chain more because the way he asked the question in my head at first i was like oh we're gonna have a bunch of shit we could ramp up and then the more i thought about it it's like you know what like that's just gonna make your results worse like you probably shouldn't do that much um the last thing i will say about it is if you are really interested in pre-fatiguing for a specific muscle, I think you should take those pre-fatigue exercises and put them at the very end of your workout. Mm-hmm. So maybe every workout you finish with activation drills on your chest or on your lats or on your delts or whatever you want where you can do like a burnout fatigue set. That way you create that metabolic effect, that uh, metabolite training, burnout, lactic acid, all that stuff at the very end when right. you know you're not going to perform anything afterwards. Yeah. Or a specialization day too. Yeah. yeah, where you have a day where you do all that shit. Yeah. So I think that's a wrap. If you love the Mind vs. Muscle podcast, want more free content, and you want to support the movement, share this podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review. To get your questions answered on the next episode, see the show notes for our social media handles and hashtag Mind vs. Muscle.